Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello, everyone. Dave. Uh, uh, my good thing this week is... And Tori's out sick this week, so we hope she gets better. She likely will by the time we post this episode, because that would be unthinkable for her to still be sick that long in the future. And we start every week with good thing, so Craig, thing one good. All right. So this week, uh, I have a board game that I might have talked about in the in the past, but I'm going to talk about it again now. It's one that I've been making Mike play, so I don't know how he feels about it. Is but... it Innovation? Yes. Oh, I'm loving Innovation. It's very fun. So, Innovation came out a long time ago, actually. Uh, I don't know the exact year, but it is made by Asmati Games. Shout out to Asmati Games, who... Uh, Hi, Asmati Games. He's uh, the the guy who, I guess, what, he owns Asmati, right? Like, is it just him? Like, I don't, I don't know the details of his company. But they make a bunch of fun games like One Deck Dungeon and Innovation. I love Buzmati Rice. So Innovation is a really neat card game that is supposed to represent technology through the ages. Uh, you start in prehistory where you have stuff like the wheel or uh, oars for boating. You know, basic stuff that would be the technology. And you use that to do different things to improve uh, the technologies that you're, I guess civilization has until you go up through history like through the renaissance and the modern age and all this other fun stuff the neat thing is there's a ton of cards um and there's a lot of like interaction between the cards themselves what they can do like it's every time you play it's it's very different and and we're just talking the base game here they did make some micro expansions as well which add some different things but unfortunately you cannot play that on Board Game Arena, which I have mentioned before, and we still can't get Dave to sign up for us for some weird reason. Um, maybe one uh-huh, day. I'm working on it. What? He's working on it. We got your brother. Um, but yeah, innovation's a lot of fun. <clears throat> I'm a sucker for me with a hostage to get me to sign up. All right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for anything like technology related and the fact that you could just sort of improve things over time. Like, really fun. There's just There's just so many fun interaction it is a very interactive card game which is a little bit different uh some board games can be very like solo oriented this one does you have to pay attention to everyone else's hand uh sorry board state uh what they can do but it's it's just really neat um i haven't tried it yet there's apparently a 2v2 mode uh with two teams which would be really cool i have played it as two player and three player games with two player it's it's not like it's 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 very tactical um so it's it's just it's really good to play. The the information is pretty much the board state that you can see. So there's a lot of information there. You can do some good deduction. Um I'm glad, Mike, that you're enjoying it because I, I can play it a lot. Um it's it's becoming like one of my favorite games. Like I, I liked it before and just playing it this much, I'm like, man, it's such a good game. And it's it's easy to teach, but it's it's also has a lot of depth in so it is it is extraordinarily complex in like the various different board states that can exist, but it's very simple in like turn to turn what's what's available is like 
yeah, you can you can do like three things. And as a note, in our current game, Craig is very thoroughly winning. He's very very close to actually just flat out winning the game. Like it's almost over and he's almost won. Yeah. Which is funny cuz I don't think I've won any of the games we played yet. You each have won once. Anyway, Come check it out. Uh, if you join our Discord, we are we do have a board gaming channel on our Discord server itself. If you guys want to join in, not just play Innovation. You can play any of the games that happen to be on, like, Board Game Arena or something. So come join us. Maybe we can get Dave to join us at some point, you know, part of the fun. Yeah, Dave. Join us. Uh, but first, you should probably have a good thing. Oh, uh, I saw a guy this morning. He looked kind of like Danny DeVito. Yeah, that's pretty good. That is a That is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so my good thing this week, waiting for Dave to tell me he's not done. Oh, that was it. Okay. That was my good thing. I saw a guy this morning who looked kind of like Danny DeVito. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, my good thing this week is uh, last night, the wife and I went out in a really nasty st- snowstorm and saw the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra presents The Princess Bride. So they had a big Ooh. projector. They played the movie. And then the symphony actually played the score to the movie. And on top of just being a very cool thing, like, all by itself, it was it was like a going-to-a-big-theater experience for this movie that I love that I've never gotten to see on a big screen with people because it's almost as old as I am. So um, basically it was reverse karaoke, where they had the words playing on a recording and they had to play the music live. Yeah, you could think about it that way. Cool. I am going to call it reverse karaoke from now on, even though this is the first I've heard of it. So I will initially and henceforth for all time call it reverse karaoke. Um, I mean, the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra does this for, has done this for a few movies, and nice. I assume they will continue to do so because the place was pretty packed. Um, I would assume that you guys live near Philly, right? Yeah, we have a Philharmonic. Yeah, I would assume that they have similar things going on, so this is this is yeah. something you have access to likely. Um but yeah, it was it was a really great experience. Like the closest thing I have to it is when I went to go see uh The Force Awakens being like the first Star Wars movie that I was able to see in a theater since the prequels and that's ruined a bit by the prequels just fundamentally not being good movies. So, yeah. Apparently it's just called Philadelphia Orchestra. Yeah. There's a Pennsylvania Philharmonic. Okay. There's a Pennsylvania polka. There's a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, a polka. Polka. I know about the Pennsylvania polka because it plays in uh, Groundhog Day again. But that's not important right now. What is important right now is that Dave read some chapters. And he's now he's going to talk about them. Wait, did he good thing? Yeah. He saw a guy who looked kind of like Danny DeVito. Wow, I completely missed that. Uh, was it because you were too busy beating the pants off me in innovation? Probably. That could be what's happening, yes. Because that is absolutely happening in innovation. Now Dave's going to talk about some chapters that he read this week. Yeah, let's talk about chapters 8 through 14 of Edge Dancer by Brandon Sanderson. Chapter 8. Some wait, girls... wait. That was too good. Are you sure you're feeling well like that? That was too accurate. Yeah, you named the story and the author correctly and all the chapter numbers. What? <laughs> what's going on? It's uh, I, pr- I practiced. 
Dave? It's what happens when Tori isn't here. Suddenly, Dave is perfect. Hey, well, Hold on, Dave. The <laughs> blink twice if you're if you've been kidnapped. Did anybody hear him blink? I heard at least one blink. Okay, so Where's Dave had been kidded, but not the chapter. The chapter numbers and title and author are all going to be smooth because the bullet points ain't. I haven't. It's been like two months since we recorded. I don't know what's going on. It has been two weeks. We took off for Christmas. Three weeks if you don't count the fact that all we did the week before was the uh, state of the Sanderson. I agree with Dave. It has felt like two months. All right. Chapter eight. Some girl steals a fruit basket while Lyft is trailing darkness. Tikka. The trees are lazy, but not as stupid as stupid grass. Darkness has a spren. Cultivationing breakin. Skybreakers. Eh, Windle? Lyft takes a rage bite out of darkness's pancakes. I did that once. Uh, I was mad at my friend at work, and I just took a big bite out of his cheeseburger. Uh, phase two commence, wherein we actually help someone. I guess this is the part where Lyft sneaks and steals Darkness's pancakes. Does it even count as pancake theft if you haven't done it from a mortal enemy? I don't know that Darkness is mortal. That's a good point. <laughs> so, yeah, she didn't actually steal the pancakes because you can't. There's yeah. bylaws and stuff. So you want to tell us Craig, what, what happened in what this chapter? Wait, what? When did you last read this? This has like a... Well, I read the last two chapters this morning. Well, but this good. was a couple weeks ago, chapter eight. This is the one where a girl tries to steal something and darkness kills her because she broke the law. Yeah. And then Lyft steals his pancakes. <laughs> she uses cultivation to break through a window or something. She steal them or does she just conveniently see them sitting there and decides to eat them? No, she specifically comes here with the intention of eating his pancakes. Well, like yes. That's her, or that's yes, her that, whole that goal, goal of coming into his office. Yes. But is it stealing? Is it? So the cultivation break-in is Lyft using one of her three powers that... The one that she uses the least, which is grow stuff. Um, she puts some seeds on a windowsill and then magics at them. And they grow enough to pop open the window. Yep. And that's that's all I can remember from Chapter 8. All right, that seems good enough. Chapter 9? Yeah. Who's Tikika? Is that the girl that got killed? The girl that steals fruit and darkness kills her? Yeah. According so, to the Coppermind summary of Edge Dancer, I don't know. Tika? Tika. No, the double Qs are Kika. Don't you remember from that one interlude? And I pronounce everything wrong, so we are good. Yeah. Uh... So yeah, this is like what happens when you staunchly hold to your ideals and don't reevaluate uh, your beliefs in a really long time, I think. Yeah, so Darkness is very much... I I don't even want to say lawful neutral. He's just lawful. That's, He's true yeah, not I'd lawful. Law, that that's, would be the same as saying lawful neutral. I'm with yeah, that. I, I could see lawful neutral. I'm just I'm making a point that he is he is like very much whatever's written on the paper of the law. Yeah. All right. And the harshest possible punishment for any crime, obviously. Yeah, she didn't even get a trial or nothing. That was weird. All right. Chapter nine. Surge finders. Seth forgot to shave. Wait, is Nightblood going to be in this? Nin Sun God. Are the Voidbringers back or not? Make up your minds, guys. Nin is Nalan the Herald? Uh, so yeah, Nin, also known as Darkness, is apparently a Herald 
Who'd have thunk it? Now, the big question is, do you remember what the Heralds are? Yeah, they're the Honor Blade dudes. Yes. Yes, they are. They're from, like, the original Desolation. They're the guys that, like, respawn every time there's a Desolation. Right. And here's one now. I wonder if something's getting desolated. Here's one now. Now. So, yeah, Nail doesn't think the Voidbringers are back, and Seth does think they're back because we read the last book. (laughs) We think the Voidbringers are back. So, wait, why is Nail Lanin alive if the Voidbringers aren't back? What does he think he's doing? That's a good question, Dave. So just just as a recap, um, I can I can answer part of this. The beginning of Way of Kings, the very first chapter, the heralds, aside from Tone, essentially abandoned their oaths. And he's the gibberish guy with Sadius tried to steal his blade, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So That's... they abandoned their oaths, which means they did not return to uh wherever they go when they're dead so so they basically stayed on the planet on roshar oh okay so the nine of them stayed on the planet and talon died but so they were all on the planet this whole time except for talon who just now came back right because they all the nine of them abandoned town yeah i see so all right so nin has been around that whole time then basically which that I think sense. is what, Mike, do you remember? Isn't it like 4,500 years or something? Uh, Yeah, approximately. Been a very long time. Yep. Yeah. He's old. Uh, His back hurts. He needs a nap. So Seth calls him Nin Sun God. So I guess he's like uh some son of God type guy. Like, is he uh, Stormfather's son, or Honor's son, or Cultivation's son, or Endowment's son, or... Odium son. Seth doesn't know, but he's holy, so Okay. Yeah. It's sort of a catch all. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping Nightblood's gonna show up by the end of this. Um I mean, no. I won't say. <laughs> so this stuff this chapter's about them talking about whether or not the Voidbringers are back, I guess. And also, you know, that they're going around this town wherever it's called the the Shelf Cliffs Town, and looking for Surge Finders. That's why they're the Surge Finders. Anyone else? Um, a good way to make a Surge Finder is to rig two male electrical cords together. That'll find your Surge Breaker real quick. Hmm. Anything else from Craig? Uh, On to Chapter be... 10. Okay. Chapter 10. Lyft has one wish left. What does Lyft want? She asked Nightwatcher not to change. Mike, mid-lift crisis. Mike's the name of the orphan kid. With Mike without the E. The E is invisible. You've heard of silent letters. Well, this is an invisible letter. So, yeah, uh, Lift is here at the orphanage, and Stump Lady told her that she'd give her three meals to have whenever she wanted. And this was the second one, even though Lift thinks it's the first one or whatever. I don't know. This lady's running some sort of scam, some orphanage scam. And then she gives half her biscuit to this other orphan kid, Mike. And, you know, there's this old dude that tells Lyft, that talks to Lyft, and she thinks he's creepy. But, you know, he gives her some advice, and she just, she doesn't know who she is or what she, she's having, like, a, you know, just kind of like an identity kind of crisis deal. 
And uh, we do learn kind of a little bit of her backstory about uh, you know, she and Mike are fortunate enough to at least remember their mothers, even though Mike's mother abandoned him to this orphanage and so forth. I forget what happened to Lyft's mom, if she died or what. But uh, Lyft went to Night Watcher and asked to not change. So that whatever that somehow interpreted to her being like an edge dancer or something. And that's the end of chapter 10. So, Craig, what what does any of that mean? <laughs> I don't think I like this position. Um, so I, I did not read the chapters. I'm going by the Coppermine Wiki. So shout outs to the Coppermine Wiki, which Dave should never look at because everything is spoiled there. But yeah, if, you um, guys... if anyone listening is an editor at the Coppermine Wiki, we appreciate your work. We see what you're doing and we thank you. Sure. Um, but it is a very good resource for for us. They they try their best to keep spoilers away, but it's just going to be unavoidable sometimes. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, she she went back to the orphanage, and and Stump is annoyed at Mick for faking his disability so he can get more food. That's Stump suspects that he's faking his yeah disability. Yeah. Right. I actually read this chapter last night. Oh I'm well, then why that. am I telling you? You're that doesn't mean I remember. Okay. Well, yeah. So that's basically this chapter, and she talks. So, she talks to the strange old man. There you go. So is this kid Mick Dundee, or is it me? Because there are only two people, and they're named Mick and Mike. This one is Mick. Dave, care I to weigh in? You. Uh, it's Mike without the E. Craig thinks it's Mick without the C, but I think it's Mike without the E. Well, I'm impartial in this, so I don't know. Well, I'll have to ask Tori next week. Yep, that's an important thing that she needs to weigh in on that we'll definitely remember to ask her a week from now. We didn't even remember to ask Craig about the whole carriage cadmium incident. Yeah, we did. Like I said, we didn't even remember that we remembered to ask about the carriage incident. Exactly. Uh, But what we can remember about is chapter 11. Yeah, because I wrote down a single bullet point for it so that we know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I can't remember. Greg Indicium. Greg Indicium. Uh, I want to say that was supposed to be Great Indicium, not Greg Indicium. <laughs> Man, swiping on my phone at 1 a.m. is hard, you guys. I did right. look up the word Indicium, and it means, like, a signpost. But basically, they mean it to mean library. So okay. they, they, they have to find the Greg library, Craig? basically. Translate from Dave's autocorrect to Dave. <laughs> well, he did translate book. it. It's like a library. That's no, the but center Greg. of the, the city. No, who's Greg? Greg Indicium. I don't know. I, did you, you read it at like 3 a.m. Heck if I know. It was 1 a.m. 3 oh, a.m. Okay. Atlantis time. I don't know why you put Greg Indicium. Mm. Because uh, Lyft is like, oh, they got a place where they write stuff down. And then, like, the crossing guard points at this, like, giant building, like, across the street. Like, yeah, it's at the Greg Indicium. It's right there. It was there this whole time. It was right in front. <laughs> we found Greg, you guys. Good job. Yay. You've heard of Craig. This is Greg. This whole time. Right in the middle of the city. All right. Chapter 12. Chapter 12. Windle can't read all the books at once. Is he recording a podcast, too? That would take many years to read all of the books there. I don't know. He's he's from the cognitive realm, so I feel like he should be able to 
if well, not read, yeah. then like access the information. In no, a way no, no. That's he, he's from the cognitive yeah. realm, but he exists in the physical realm now. Sure. I think this would be like this would be like data. He's like, Captain, I have taken the liberty to peruse every single piece of writing from Earth's history from the year twelve hundred to eighteen hundred, and I have surmised blah blah blah. You know, like from Star Trek. Oh, from Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> that data, yeah. So, yeah, they show up at the library, and Lyft is like, all right, get to reading. And Windle's like, I can't read all these books at once, because we have a spoiler section on our podcast, and I'm only allowed to read 50 pages per week. All right, to counter what Craig said earlier, Wendell, Windle, Wendell, Wendell. Um, it's Windle. It's either because he winds up like a vine, or because he's really naggy. But either way, it's Windle. And if you want to be wrong, you call him Wendell, because that's what I say. All right. So Wayne um, exists primarily Wayne in the cognitive dull. realm. And he's, he explains that to Lyft, because she's not supposed to be able to actually physically interact with him. But she can climb his crystal vines. Therefore, uh, read fast. Oh, it makes sense, because Wendell doesn't have to read the physical text of each book. Wendell can just, like see the ideas as they exist in the cognitive realm, right? right. Yes. I don't know. I don't know what? how books no. interact what with the cognitive realm, look like? honestly. That's a re- yeah, that's a really that good, a good point. That is a good question. How do, what do books look like? What does written word look like in the cognitive realm? I can realm? answer that. What do books look like? Do you want to know what they look like in the cognitive realm? Yeah. They look like little beads. Like everything else in the cognitive realm in I'm Roshar. No, Spren don't look like little beads. And Spren are that is ideas. True. Spren do not look like little beads, but so objects Spren is like human that size, exist so you can in hug the her. physical realm look like beads in the cognitive realm. Gems. They, it actually is gems. Okay, so the physical book would be a little bead gem, but, but the idea is written therein. Are they? Do they take a cognitive entity as well, or would it just be like the the cognitive form of? So, are the ideas on the pages themselves are those entities that also exist in the cognitive realm, or do only the physical things like the cover and the page and the ink exist as beads, or is everything come together as one entity and become a single bead in the cognitive realm? So. Uh, in answer to that, it's it's basically how the object views itself. And since we typically look at a book as one entity, then it would be represented by a single bead at that point. Because that's know. its identity is is one complete object. I feel like the words upon the pages should exist themselves as a cognitive idea. I think this is what's going to be our spoiler time this episode with me and Craig. What do you think, Craig? Uh, you're the boss. Why, did you have something else? Nope. Then this will be our spoiler time. So, Dave, keep going so we can get to spoiler Maybe time. something else will come up. We have two more chapters to go. Chapter 13. Why do they feed scribes so much? Why do they need so much energy? Pens may be like, oh, but let me tell you about paper. Concentration, Spren. Span read to fat lips. Careful, the guard shouted. She's awesome. Aquasic says you gotta do what Lyft says. So first, Lyft makes this comment because there is a, a scribe that's perhaps a slight bit overweight. 
Although, spoiler, later on, she takes her hood off and, you know, Vin rem- or Lift remarks that she's actually quite pretty. Um, but anyway, she's like, oh, why do they give them so much food? It's not like they do much physical activity because pens are light. But, oh, she doesn't know about the paper. And, in fact, later in this chapter, we see Parchman carting paper in and out of the building. Dude, there's some, like... There's some Cosmere thing where just, like, paper is remarkably heavy. I wonder... Because they have all the cognitive realm ideas weighing them down. Because, like, in the cognitive realm, they exist as, like, several different things. And that's why... And that somehow gets transferred into the physical realm and makes the paper super heavy. It makes sense. So what you're saying is, all this time, we thought... Tensoon was making a joke back in Well of Ascension. It but it turns out full circle. <laughs> it turns out yeah. he wasn't. He was deadly serious. Paper is incredibly heavy in the Cosmere. I think we broke it open. We got it, guys. Let's be real. How often do we actually see Tensoon joking around? He's one of the most serious characters in Mistborn. Well, I thought we saw him that one time, but I guess I'm wrong. This is far more consistent with his character. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Paper joke. Obligatory for by this point in our podcast. Uh, we have concentration spread, which ironically show up as uh, little distracting things while people are trying to concentrate. But I guess the, the idea is that they're attracted to concentration. They, they're like these little ripples within the air. That <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like the eye squiggly. Like, if you're just kind of, like, looking looking up at the sky, just kind of relaxing, you got the little eye squiggly, like, in your eye juices that you can't, like, look at. And if you try to look at it, it runs away. I, I imagine that, in appearance, that's what a concentration sprint would be. That's what it would look like. Because if you think about it, if you're constant, Dude, it makes... Oh, it's perfect. If you're concentrating on something, and you get distracted by the sprint, you're no longer concentrated, and it would go away. Like, it's it's exactly an eye... Like, it's an, it's an eye squiggly concentration spray greg care to weigh in on this no i have nothing to add oh man dude didn't even rafe me uh so fat lips is How the name I of the... you and it's your theory <laughs> fat lips is one of the it's exactly what rafe is it's like oh i can't confirm your theory because read and find out so span read to fat lips fat lips is one of the viziers in gawk's palace and it's funny if you think about it, that Lyft doesn't remember the names of any of the viziers and scribes in the palace. But it makes sense, because Lyft would have remembered the viziers' names if anybody else forgot them, right? Because right. she remembers those who have been forgotten. So if they hold a place of prominence, and then like Lyft has no reason to like hold to her, her vows and remember them, because they haven't been forgotten. Other people are doing plenty of remembering. She doesn't need to step up there. Yeah, exactly. So... It actually makes a lot of sense that Lyft doesn't remember the names of the people in high places. Alright, so then there's a line where the guard, where it's before Gox sends back the spannery, and uh, the guard says, oh, careful, she's slippery, or something like that. And and, uh, that was literal, but I substituted the word awesome. And then finally, the Aqua Six Gox, whose new name I can't remember... You know, just like Lyft. And so oh, you got to do what Lyft says. Lyft, Lyft is my esteemed guest into your fair town. You, you better not murder her. And that's the end of chapter 13. Okay. 
I don't have anything to add here. Craig? Aquifer. No, that's probably not right. <laughs> Yana, Yanagon the first. Is, that doesn't is sound right name. either. No. Yanagon. No. Yes. Yanagon. Yanagwan? What? No, I I think Why that's the Greg we were looking for yesterday. Here? Or before. So If there's any copper mine editors, you guys have spelled his name two different ways on the same page. But do. But we still love you and appreciate you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we do. I, uh, one day I hope to be a fan of your work. Just go to Guas. He's the prime Aquasex. Yanagon. Hey, to be fair, prime. listen, to be fair, Brandon can't even spell his characters' names right all the time. That's a good job. That's his why editor, he has editors. That's a good job at catching it. Yeah, it's no, he has a team of editors that has a good job of catching That's it. That's what I'm um, saying. The editors you, do a good job If you watch some of, of his videos it. that uh, we talked about, like, specifically, I watched the one with Will Friedell, and Brandon admits the fact that he spells his characters' names wrong half the time, and editors have to remind him how to spell his names. Uh, I was specifically they... giving credit to the editors. They do a good job of catching all of them. Yes. The spelling and grammar uh, pass-through is the final one. And it's the Gamma Reed. Dude, Gamma Reed is an awesome superhero name. I would assume that that's, you know, Fantastic Four Reed Richards, but Hulky. It's it's their son. It's Reed and Susan's son. Uh, that's Richard. Or is it Richard? Richard Richards? No, that's not right. They do have, they have two kids, and their son is like ultra mega uber powerful mutant guy. Wow, I can't remember his name. Quicksilver. Anyway. And Scarlet Witch. No, that's Magneto's kids. But no, I'm imagining a stretchy Hulk. Stretch Armstrong. Reed Rich. Oh wait, Reed Richards. Okay, that makes sense. Stretchy Hulk. Stretchy Invisible Hulk. Can you imagine being stretchy and invisible? I can't. I just thought of it. I'll get back to you next week, and then we can ask Tori. What chapter are we on? Did we finish chapter thirteen? We're done with 13, yes. We're moving All on right. to 14. Chapter 14. Your Pancakefulness. Great title. I think I might take it on myself. How many surge binders could there be? Lyft thinks luck is the opposite of awesomeness. I dare say Vin would disagree. Time to hunker down for the Everstorm and find that radiant. Dumb. So we do... I can't remember exactly. Stump was doing something suspicious with, with spheres. Like, I think that she was... Was she taking Dun Spheres and giving out Infused Spheres, or the opposite? Other way around. She yeah, was... she's being accused of money laundering, taking Dun Spheres, well, trading away the Dun Spheres to get Infused ones that are of lesser value. Okay, so she's taking a monetary hit for the Infusion. So, yeah, that sounds pretty radianty. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I commented on it the first time it came out. Money laundering. It's not radiant. All the Radiants are money launderers. I understand. No, all money launderers are Radiants, but not all Radiants are money launderers. Kaladin was contributing to a monopoly. The Alethi monopoly? The healer people, the independent healers selling... Is there a Cosmere monopoly? I don't think so. I'm sure someone has made something like it before. I feel like Brandon would have shielded at some point and I would have heard about it. I feel like Brandon doesn't like Monopoly. Because <laughs> he likes actual better games. Yeah, I, w I would hope so. Monopoly is like the worst board game. It's so bad. That's not. It's not the worst board game. It's it's very heavily RNG. It's, there's a, there's a huge random factor in Monopoly, and it's one of the. It, it can drag on long after there's. It's like 
Oh, I still have a point zero zero one percent chance of winning, so we have to keep playing. Like, but I think it it can be fun. It, I I have fond memories of playing it with my friends, and it can be fun. Uh, but it, I wouldn't consider it a game on the level of modern board games. Obligatory Monopoly has many faults, but people playing it wrong is the primary one. That's a good point. I mean. If you're not if you're giving out free money on free parking and you're not playing with auctions, then you're adding to the game time by not actually using the rules. Uh, side note, uh, I don't know if this was the same video, but I watched a discussion on MMO economies and essentially the, the stuff they have to do to make sure inflation doesn't go rampant. And the biggest thing is they have money sinks. You need a way to actually absorb the money from the player so it doesn't just sit mm -hmm. in the economy being traded between players. So things like housing costs or um, teleportation or whatever the heck else they, they put into place. I don't know if this was the same video, but it's the same exact idea of Monopoly. You need money sinks to make sure there's not ridiculous inflation yeah, it's in the true game. like you, the only time you're really increasing the total money is from chance in community chest and passing go like there are there are functions of like there's income tax and there's paying to get out of jail and stuff like that but like when you take that money and and keep it in the economy by placing it on free parking like you're ruining the game sure Anyway. Like in an actual game of Monopoly, because you are so likely to go to jail, it's it's actually sort of difficult to it's pass out. Like real life, yeah. Only bail's only fifty bucks, and you anyway. can you can break out. Jeez. The point is, guys, money sinks are good. Stop putting money in free parking. Thank you. It's kind of fun. I've played a uh, World of Warcraft on private servers, and sometimes they just like crunch money. It's like, oh, you have ten thousand gold. Now you have one thousand gold, and like. You know, there's a reason for doing it. Um, and or like in Final Fantasy 14, they recently increased it, increased the cost of teleportation. But like, honestly, in Final Fantasy 14, money is just so irrelevant anyway. It doesn't even matter. Uh, anyway, whatever. What were we talking about? Were we talking about Edge Dancer by Brandon Sanderson, chapters 8 through 14? Uh, I think just 14 at this point. So, yeah, okay. so anyway, who, who you is know, your pancakefulness? Oh, that would be Lyft. She's full of pancakes now, but not as full as she'd like to be. So, yeah, they have all these reports of weird things. And they're like, oh, yeah, tell me tell me if anything weird happens. And then they're like, oh, your pancakefulness. Weird things happen every day. Like someone has a premonition of their sister falling and then her sister falls and then blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, something like this. And then she glows and uses her cultivation power to grow the sesame seeds on her pancake. And then she can't eat the pancake. Oh, no. But she got the point across. And they have a few reports, or I'm sorry, they have many, many, many reports of things that could be the work of Surge Binders. And she just kind of has to pick one and hope that uh, they find the Surge Binder that Darkness is here to kill. And then, oh, all of a sudden, there's this, uh, oh, there's the Everstorm's coming in three hours. Gotta override the Emperor Gox's thing to listen to whatever lift says and the emergency go find bunkers and stuff and uh lift gives her escort the slip and she's like i know that one of darkness's lackeys was on the something about finding the something so i i didn't quite understand but whatever they got a plan and that's the end of this week's chapters all right uh i don't have anything Thanks. else for dave me too. 
Let's go to Spoiler yeah. Town. <laughs> now you guys get to talk about how books exist in the cognitive realm while I... I feel like Mike out. has something he wants to say about it, so I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to this. Have a great week, everybody. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Dave's gone. Play the stream. The thing. Not the stream. Play the stream. The he closed his stream, and I, I, I word saladed. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay, the thing has been played. Um, so books, huh? Go on. Um, so when Shalon in the Cognitive Realm grabs a thing, grabs a bead, and puts some stormlight into it, other beads show up to, like, make the shape of the thing, right? Right, yes, yes. Would a book bead become something that could be read, or would she just sort of, like, get the knowledge of it by putting stormlight into it, in addition to the and... shape? So, okay, let's let's think about this. We know the shape would be made out of bead. That seems right. very inconvenient for writing to be in that way. You'd maybe have to use some kind of, like, proto braille type thing because the the raised beads would have to be words like i don't think it would quite work that way instead i like your other idea where if she were to infuse a bead the knowledge it's sort of like a copper mine um which oh, so most of the thing well, all the things she's tried don't really have much information to them right like the shape and size right. of it is the bulk of the information of it like a door is just a door right there's, there's not really more information you can get from that. But she does learn a bit about the object, though, doesn't she? Like, she sort of taps into its identity. She she knows, like, I, I remember her rifling around beads to be able to find the one she wanted. And, like, she gets this, like, picture of what it is. Like, there's this information that is being transferred into her head. So, and that's, that's before she puts Stormlight into it, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So, yeah, I think I think books would work that way. I think that would be I the more efficient way. Acting like a copper mine. I think I'm not far off in saying this might be how copper mines actually work. You're more likely dumping some kind of information into the cognitive realm and being able to tap it puts it back into your head. So that like terrorist men uh, who can who can mess with copper, they're definitely doing something like that. And and this is just the inverse essentially. If you're already in the cognitive realm, this is like an inverse copper mine. It's just, it's just books. It's just books. Would that affect the book in the physical realm? Like, would it erase Shouldn't. the ink, theoretically? I don't think it does anything. As far as we've been able to determine, anything that happens in the cognitive realm doesn't really have an effect. Like, okay, hold on. I, ha I have to choose my wording carefully here. Because um, there are ways you can affect between the realms. But from what we've seen the character do, I think just getting the information out should not affect anything in the physical realm of the book i don't i don't think it'll affect the ink or anything because that's these are different properties the identity of the book itself is to have the knowledge so i don't it's i would say it's similar to a copper mine but it's not like exact like a copper mine you're not actually removing the information from the object the object has the information it's part of its identity to have this knowledge or at least this ink depending on how it views itself Oh, Hamija pointing out that Ruin could manipulate words not written in steel. That is a good point. This dude, this is how he did it. He, he's messing with stuff in the cognitive realm. Hmm. No, no. So so I should say, 
like Shalon or anyone just getting the information out, I don't think has an effect. You can affect. That's why I had to be careful how I was choosing my words. You can affect things in the physical realm, because if you change something's identity, that will do it. And Ruin is very good at doing that, like tweaking something slightly so it says something differently. But it looks like this this is how he was doing it. Never really thought about it before. I say again, hmm. <laughs> okay, that's pretty much all I had. Um, so yeah, Dave's right. Stump is Stump is our radiant. Yeah. Um, the Everstorm is coming. There. And he will definitely be surprised at uh, Bugman. Harvey Bugman, attorney at law. I mean, I was surprised as well. So you don't really see that coming for a while until you find out he's made of Kremlings, which he you is, should find out soon. I forget which chapter it is, but that's like near the end. He's a Dyson Iamian and not a Dyson Vacuum. Those are different. Correct. Um, what else? What else happens that Dave will be daved well, by? She, she gives Nail a hug. It's it's through the power of love and friendship that he's able to actually accept that hey, the radiance here. Let's we we should touch upon it a little bit. Why Nail thinks the Voidbringers are not returning? Well, I should say the Desolation is returning because, as we know, humans are the Voidbringers. Well, the original. Oh, ones, it was because anyway. that one jerk radiant who that one named, or not radiant. Jerk. Um, Ishar? Yeah, Ishar. Because Ishar yeah. told him. Ishar told him that if he if he kills off budding radiance, then he'll stop the desolation from coming back. Let's, let's okay, on the surface, that doesn't even make sense. Like killing proto radiance wouldn't have e e even why would that have an effect on the desolation from occurring or not? Like the de the desolation occurring, the radiance who happen to be in what braze or wherever are returned to Roshar, so they exist. Not We've the radiance. Seen that happen with Talon. The the other guys, the heralds. The heralds, yeah. The, what did I say? Radiance, which oh, I also said out. earlier when I meant heralds. So yeah, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. I guess we're having a rock fight later, is what I'm saying. No, so the heralds are back. Like you can't stop that. Even if you kill the proto radiance, it's it doesn't make sense. Like. What I'm saying is Ishar is speaking out of his butt. Like, he, he has designs. He's up to something. We have very briefly saw his appearance in Rhythm of War, and the, nothing has changed my thoughts on that. He's he, he might be crazy. He's definitely, like, cuckoo, but... Okay, so Spren forming the Radiant Bond has nothing to do with the Desolation. It came about because the Heralds showed up and started fighting in the Desolations, and the Spren wanted to help, and yeah. that all grew from that, but that's a correlation, not a causing. Yeah, um, I agree. So, Spren attempting to form bonds with humans again, like, they're doing it because they know that the Desolation is coming. Yeah, it's but, a symptom. But yeah, it's not, it's not a cause. It's, like, some that's, of them might have been... Saying. Like, the Skybreakers it... continue doing so Without a desolation, without an impending des desolation, they just kept forming bonds. Yeah. Um, so I would have to assume that for all of this 4,500 years, or not 4,500, however long it's been since the Recreants, um, I would assume that some Spren have continued to try to form bonds. Just every once in a while, one will come to the physical realm and try to bond. Well, 
No, not since the Recreants, though. Then what has Nail been doing? Okay, so there, there's two separate things here. The Skybreakers, those Sprin and the Skybreakers Radiance themselves never forsake their oaths. Like, they did not participate in the Recreants. That is explicitly stated. I don't remember where, but that's explicitly stated. They did not participate in the Recreants. So I could see their Sprin still being willing to bond. For a while, like since the Recreants, maybe because of the Stormfather himself, um, they stopped. Like the Sprin just stopped bonding after that point. Like it was a big deal. Like as we've seen in Rhythm of War, like the interpretation and everything is is uh, of what happened is is very bad for other Sprin, and it made them unwary. Or sorry, they made them worry to. Uh, I might be using the wrong word. They they made them. Um, not want to to form the bond until we finally get to modern day Roshar when a desolation is happening, when some Sprin who weren't around or participated in the recreants, of course, um, are like, we, we need to do this now because they, they can see it happening like they, they can they get that feeling. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think we've had any before since the recreants until where we are in the book. Uh, where we are reading in the books, like we haven't really had any bonds outside of the Skybreakers who are separate because they did not participate in the Recreant. See, I I think that there's the occasional individual Spren who's just decided, no, nah, I'm going to go out and try to bond again. And then yeah, but Stormfather the Skybreakers did not. You are... saw how hard it was for Syl to convince the Stormfather to do that. Okay, Although the I guess, Stormfather I guess... is not an authority over all Spren. No, he is an authority over Honor Sprint. Like, that's that's true, because the Cultivation Sprint, they decided collectively that they should set someone out, which is why they sent Windle out. I guess each each organization of Sprint is different in how they came to it, but the point is they had to make a decision. I don't, I don't think they just would go out and do that on their own. I don't know. I just don't think there's been a Radiant since the Recreant. I mean, I also don't think there's been a Radiant since the Recreant, but... I think Nail is the cause of that by way of Ishar. You think he's been reverse that. I think Ishar <laughs> is the cause of that by way of Nail. Right. Maybe they've just been making sure. I don't know. That that hasn't been their primary mission though. I feel like for the most part they've been just, you know, trying to uphold laws and stuff like that. It's just now at the point's like, what do I do with all of these night radiants that keep popping up and Ishar's like, Oh, you should kill them to prevent the desolation. It's like, what? Where'd this come from? So I think I think where you're getting stuck is you're considering each different type of spren to like all of them just sort of be one homogenous thing where individuals don't get to decide things where I think it's the other way around. I think that most of them follow that, but we do get some some individuals that don't follow what the group says, and so we would have some bonds. Not a lot and not often, but I think we've had some bonds in the 2000ish years. Since the Recreants, I don't know that we ever got a number on that. But, yeah, Nail. Nail says no frequently, so. All right, I'm out of things. Do you have another thing? Uh, I'm out of things for this episode. Okay, then that's an episode. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.